Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Parents Just Don't Understand. This is your co-host, Kurt, and tonight we've got an episode all about video games. This was actually one of the very first episodes that we ever recorded, uh, and so you'll notice the audio quality is maybe a little bit lower than you've come to be accustomed to. There's a little bit of choppiness early on, but it clears up pretty soon, and uh, I think it's a really, really good episode. And uh, so I'm excited to share with you the rise of the Gamer Dads. Cheers. Okay, everybody. Okay. Now here we go. the way they shape their own childhoods, and the role they play in parenting and childhood today. And I'm excited to be joined by my friend and fellow gamer dad, James. Welcome to the show, James. Uh, thanks, Kurt, and uh, super glad to be here. And, I'm uh, always excited to talk about video games. <laughs> well, that's good, because that's what we're talking about pretty much the whole time. Um, and first off, I wanted to apologize uh, for, for slighting you with the term gamer dad, which I feel like has a very mixed uh, connotation. Uh, yes. Um, uh, <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, I think so. Although I think it's changing, right? Um, you know, I think maybe 10 years ago, uh, there was perhaps a different connotation and 10 years from now, there'll probably be a different one, but I guess we're going to get into that. Yeah, totally. And, um, I, I think a lot of it comes down to the way that video games have over the last like 10 or 15 years shifted from being like a niche interest to pretty much just being equivalent to films. Um, like, it's just kind of assumed that people of a certain age play some sort of, or at least have some passing familiarity with it. And just like films, you have people who aren't really into video games, but it's absolutely a part of our mass media culture in a way that I think when we were kids certainly wasn't the case. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, growing up in the 90s, there were kids that played video games, and there were kids that I, I don't know if there were, I don't even know if there were kids that didn't, but there were certainly were kids that didn't obsess about it 24-7, the way that me and some of my friends. Yeah, there was totally a topic of playground conversation, I can recall. In fact, I can specifically recall being bamboozled by another kid in maybe fourth grade who told me that if you went onto the that first subterranean level in the original Mario Brothers, and you shot a particular block a hundred times with a uh, the little fireball, that it would open a secret portal. Uh, needless to say, that is not the case, and I definitely wasted an afternoon uh, based upon that. <laughs> well, it's funny because, um, you know, when we were growing up, or, you know, when I was growing up, talk about, you know, Mario 1, I, I can distinctly remember being in kindergarten, and Every day, my buddy who had the latest uh, issue of Nintendo Power, we would go to the back of the playground and we'd sit down and we'd read Nintendo Power. And the, real, the reason I bring it up is that in the 90s, that was one, if not the only source of um, truth or external information mm -hmm. you had. So the urban legends, video games were much more mysterious. Um, you know, and you spent hours shooting different blocks with, you know, uh, Fire Flower Mario Balls. Because you weren't quite sure if what right. he was saying was true or not. And, um, you know, we probably won't get into it now, but it's interesting how that's changed in a world where everything is searchable on Google 
walkthroughs are available on YouTube. Um, Game Facts was maybe the predecessor for all that, if you remember. But, um, you know, games uh, have a much bigger aura of mystery than perhaps they do now when it's easy to debunk that mystery if you're interested. Yeah, to the point that Nintendo Power operated a rather profitable video game tips hotline that you could call and pay by the minute to get counseling from a certified Nintendo Power video game counselor who would give you all the tricks, all the tips and secrets. Um, And the idea of that now is, I mean, the idea of like any kind of a service like that for anything is pretty funny, but just specifically for video games is absolutely laughable. Although there are, I guess, some, you know, people will pay for uh, coaching sessions with uh you know popular streamers but we're getting way off topic um stepping back a bit uh obviously we've both been gamers for quite some time but long before we were parents so i thought a good place to start would kind of just be digging a bit into our own background with video games so i've personally been playing video games pretty much as long as i've been alive i think i probably started before i had a nintendo my father sent away for a correspondence course where you would, by the end of the course, have built your own 8088 IBM PC. And so that's where I started playing video games. How about you, James? Um, um, I, I think I can still remember the day where um, I was in kindergarten, so I'm six years old, and um, one of the kids in my class showed up, my, up at my door and you know, knocked on the door um, and talked to my mom and said, is James here? You know, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> um, uh, but, um, you know, and I came to the door and he said, do you want to come over to my house? And I said, yeah, sure. And as we were going, you know, with my parents' blessing, as we were walking down the street, I said, well, what are we going to do there? And I can still remember he said, I've got Nintendo. And like, I didn't really <laughs> even know what that was, but I knew it was a good thing. And I went there and we played and, and, um, you know, I probably played Mario 1 and Excite Bike. Um, oh, man. And I just remember um, having just, you know, my, my mind being blown about, um, you know, having this opportunity to do this thing. Um, you know, that was probably in 1990 or 1989. Yeah. And I, to your point, I've been a gamer my whole life since then. Um, I had a very close-knit group of friends, so we went through the whole process. And, and you know, I had Nintendo and then the Super Nintendo and all that fun stuff. And, you know, maybe around middle school, um, me and the crew ultimately settled in on PC gaming mm-hmm. as a preferred platform. And, you know, we can go into the nuances there. But, you know, I have my entire life, um, you know, spent a chunk of my time, even to today, you know, as a grown-up and, and a parent with, you know, real grown-up responsibilities. At the end of the week, when the kids are in bed, I still, to unwind, you know, jump on my gaming PC and jump on, you know, a Discord server with my friends, and we play, you know, Overwatch or, you know, PUBG or whatever we're playing at the time. Um, so I still, you know, get to play games, you know, five, ten hours a week. Um, and uh, and despite what my mother thought at the time, I'm not permanently damaged for it. So, <laughs> um, you know, been, been a lifelong gamer and still an active gamer today. It's It's really funny that you bring up the different video games kind of at, I guess a little bit after the birth of mass market video games, but Nintendo and Atari really did kind of create that scene. I mean, you had arcades before that, 
And a lot of that early, those early games and that early kind of gaming culture was very arcade based. One of the things that I always found really interesting looking back is that there was very little thought given to the content, I believe, of the video games that were consumed by kids when I was a kid. I remember specifically there was a really awesome game called, I think it was called Guerrilla War or Guerrilla Warfare, where it's in the non-Americanized version, it was a Japanese game, you actually played as Che Guevara um, and Fidel Castro, and you fought your way across Cuba blowing up, you know, tanks and jeeps and shooting rockets and machine guns everywhere. And I was playing that when I was like seven or eight at, I think, my cousin's house. I think my cousin's had that. And there was a ton of military games and stuff. And because it was a game, it was just like, oh, it's just like a kid's thing. The idea of content restrictions really hadn't even started to become a an issue versus now where I feel like I'm constantly worrying about that, even though my, my kids are too young to actually be playing games yet. But I'm always very careful about like, well, I don't want to leave it on the pause screen of like some incredibly violent shooter where I'm going to turn the TV on and my three-year-old is going to see me like mid dismembering someone. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's funny because, uh, uh, you know, it's hard to go back and I'm certainly not a scholar, but I, it's my understanding that like, you know, Looney Tunes wouldn't pass the content restrictions and, and mandates that we try to impose on things today with both the level of violence and like the blatant racial overtones of some of the oh, way yeah. certain characters are portrayed. Right. So, I think the times evolve and change, and I think that, you know, also, um, with before the technology was so advanced, it's really hard. I mean, dismembering somebody on the NES was, um, you know, was uh, amusing at best, right? right? Uh, it was not extremely graphic. It was not representative. And you could probably find more psychologically damaging content if you believed in, in that, um, you know, in, in the fiction section of the library. Mm-hmm. Like if you if if you were worried about the quality and or the fidelity of of the you know potentially damaging content, um, yeah, absolutely. and it's I think that really all started to change with some of the when fighting games got extremely popular. I remember Mortal Kombat was a big like cultural flashpoint to the point that knowing what the blood mode code was for the Genesis version of Mortal Kombat was like a prerequisite for being a kid in my neighborhood. I still remember it. ACABA. A-C-A-B-A-B-B, Abacababa. And I still remember that. I could still probably hold a controller and punch that in and then be delighted as all of a sudden, you know, it yells toasty and then the blood rains down from the screen. But um, I want to talk a little bit more about the games that we played when we were kids before we get on to our own kids. Um, Something that I've been thinking a lot about is the role of video games in education. Did you play any edutainment video games like math blaster was one i remember uh there was the the dr brain series the island of dr brain and the castle of dr brain there was this whole slate of educational or quasi-educational games that were around in the 90s i'm glad you asked so there was a there, there's a couple things that come to mind it's funny that you mentioned the the island of dr brain or the castle whichever one came first me and my sister played them both actually <laughs> um and um you know, I think that um, one of the interesting dynamics in my household growing up was my father was um, uh, in computer science mm-hmm. and worked for a technology company. 
and he uh, always was a proponent of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was trying to find safe ways for my sister and I to that, while at the same time my mother was trying to shut down and reduce all the amount of time we can spend on screens, and um, I think we're going to crack that open later. But So my father was introducing content or games that mm-hmm. were maybe a, a little bit in that middle ground. Um, so I did play Island of Castle. The Island of Doctor, um, which is like a ser- it's really a series of puzzle games. Yeah, pro- progress through the castle and um, all different genres and types of different puzzles and activities. Pretty complex puzzles too. Surprisingly, so I remember there were a bunch that involved like basically like little circuit circuitry schematics you had to yep. align. There was one with a robot where you had to sequentially program the robot like punch card style, where like you had to input like. 30 or 40 moves correctly so that it could navigate a maze. They were like pretty, pretty tough puzzle games for, I guess they were probably for ages like 10 to 13 or so roughly. It, it's interesting too, because, you know, again, we talked about the lack of like um, resources to skip. If you were stymied by a puzzle, you were stymied. Yeah. Right. Also games were in some ways a little more hardcore back then. So like, um, if you were stuck on a puzzle, not only was there no internet resource to find the answer, but there also wasn't uh, a $3 microtransaction to let mm-hmm. you skip the level. <laughs> there wasn't so many, like, there wasn't another path that you could take. Like, if you couldn't solve the puzzle, you literally just sat there. And, like, you either stopped playing the right. game or eventually you solved it. My sister was three years younger than me, and we would tackle all of these games together. Um, not only Island and Castle of Dr. Brain, but also some of the King's Quest puzzles mm-hmm. and some of those things and it became a inherently social experience and in some cases even as my parents or my father and mother got involved limited capacity became like a family bonding experience mm-hmm. but without a doubt between me and my sister i don't know what was more thrilling solving a given puzzle or going to tell my sister hey you wouldn't believe it i got through that level right and you literally could not see what came there was no way to see what came next right uh, there, you couldn't go and say, I'm going to go watch a Let's Play and just see how, or, or I'm just going to go watch the right. ending cutscene. So even though the rewards for completing these games were very small, it would probably just be like a little, you know, 16-bit uh, animation of the main character going, yay, and maybe like a picture of a trophy and some confetti yeah. might fall down if you were really lucky. If you had like a Sound Blaster card, you might yeah. get like a little bit of like celebratory music. Um But just the experience of getting there and knowing that there was no other way to do that um, to the point that there were some Nintendo games that I came back to when I was a teenager and was actually good at video games by then. And I finally went back and finished these games I hadn't been able to beat when I was seven or eight, whether they were like a puzzle game or just like like an action fighting game. And I still got this sense of accomplishment, like, I did it. I have grown as a person. I'm good at video games now. Right. Um, I'm horrible at video games. And I've played, like, thousands of hours, and I haven't beat, like, anything. And um, we, can, we can get into that <laughs> another time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think that, like, you know, for me, um, it was always a social experience. If I was playing with my sister, if I was playing with my friends, and the reward was... Um, the pride of, of accomplishing it and showing with others that you did it, mm-hmm. right? Like, was it really, did you, were you really that excited to make Mortal Kombat more bloody? Did it need to be? Or were you excited because if you were the one that happened to right. be there and know the code, that there was like a social validation and you even said it, it was like a, it was a mark of honor yeah. in, in your neighborhood. For well, sure. it, was, it was also a very low stakes forbidden thing. 
You know, it was something that was kind of hidden from and you had this sense that you weren't really supposed to be seeing it. You probably wouldn't get in trouble for it, but there was it was like going over to a friend's house for a sleepover and watching a horror movie that your parents probably wouldn't let you watch. You knew the repercussions were pretty small, but at the same time there was that sense of transgression and discovery like, "Ooh, this is a this is a new, unique experience that I'm getting." Right. That my, that your parents didn't have. Right. Right? Or or had very little context into. So, I think that's another piece too is that video games were a thing that our generation got to do that our parents' generation wasn't really into, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I don't know, I'm not a psychologist, I don't know the social value or the, the psychological value of that, but like, it was something that I could do that when I was eight, one of the few things in the world that I was better at than my mom and dad was video games. Mm-hmm. Couldn't have been better at watching TV, I couldn't have been better at so many other things, but I was better than the video games, and that's pretty awesome. Did your parents play any video games with you? Not really. I, like, not, like, at all, actually. I mean, I, I my guess is, like, every now and then, um, you know, they did something. But, again, I was so, when I was in my home, I did most of my video game playing outside the home because when I was in my home, um, my mother would set a kitchen timer for 30 minutes and put it down on the television next to me when I started mm-hmm. playing. And when it went off, the television went off. Right. Um. And so, given only 30 minutes to play, I was focused and locked in and really didn't want to teach my mother or father how to hold the controller. Right. And there was also an element of, especially if you go back to the original Nintendo, there often wasn't the ability to save. So if you turned off the console, the game went away. It went back to the beginning. So you might be having a really good run, and then it's bedtime. You're like, no! And I I remember specifically, like, begging my mom, don't turn off, just let the Nintendo be on all night and i remember oh, yeah. her being so skeptical like no it'll, it'll burn the house down something terrible is going to happen like no please please i've gotten so far i've gotten so far in river city ransom i don't want to lose my progress i don't want right. to lose my special kick move that i got now um yeah oh a- absolutely that um and it's funny you mentioned multiplayer because you know multiplayer back in the day was just taking turns playing single player right right so like you know playing playing you know super mario was fundamentally 50% is rewarding in, in two-player mode. You literally just have to sit on right. your hands. Heaven forbid that the person was actually good. Then <laughs> for Mario 1, you played until you died. That was could be like a long time, right? So if you only have so much time to play, I don't really want to sit there mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I don't want to sit there and watch somebody else play video games. Did you did you go to arcades at all? I, I don't... I mean, yes, but like never... I, I think I missed that era. Mm-hmm. Like, Yes, because my parents gave me a couple dollars and maybe I could go in. Right, like, like but, you went to the mall with your family and they're like, okay, go in here, spend a couple dollars, and then... But not, I wasn't 13 and, like, begging to go to the mall right. so I could spend three hours in the arcade. Yeah, I, I have very <coughs> faint memories of playing mostly pinball at some, like, racing games at... Uh, the, the Spaceport was the, the, the brand of arcade. I didn't realize until recently there were, like, nationwide arcade chains. People made a ton of money setting those up um but i don't really recall it very very well um so arcades something that have less and less of a a comparison or less and less of a comparable thing nowadays so it's a good spot to pivot uh i want to talk a little bit about your relationship with video games now as a parent and as a father absolutely okay so um i'm a father of three boys um, so I have three sons. My oldest is 10, so it's 
the summer now that we're recording. So my 10-year-old is going into fifth grade. And then I also have an 8-year-old who's going into third grade. And I have a 5-year-old who will be in kindergarten. Um, so uh, 10, 8, and 5 are my sons. Um, and now that, you know, now that I am a dad with dad-level responsibility, I have mixed feelings about video games and electronics overall. Um, I think, I guess the biggest shift that, um, I guess the biggest shift that, um, you know, has changed my perspective is that, um, I play games very differently than my mm. kids do. Um, for the first thing is when I have time to play games at the end of a long work week, I want to play. And I already talked about not wanting to watch Luigi play Mario level 1-1 one, one when I'm just waiting for my turn. Um, my kids seem to have an incredibly high tolerance for watching other people play yeah. video games on YouTube as opposed to actually playing themselves. And I will go to my 10 or my 8-year-old and just be like, what? Why don't you, like, you can, you know you can play this. Like, right now, like, your Xbox is over there. You have this game. Why are you watching him play? Um, I think so. That's one of the things that's I think fundamentally different. Um, yeah, streamer culture really uh, doesn't have any much in the way of a comparable experience. I guess in some ways that's kind of what has replaced the social aspect of the arcade. Because in an arcade, you often would spend a lot of your time watching other people play, especially if it was a pop if it was a popular machine. Like I remember there was the whole, and there still is if you go into like fighting game tournaments but there was the whole culture of like got next where you would yeah. put like your quarter up on the kind of the edge of the screen and there was like a rotation but you would spend a lot of your time watching other people especially watching people who are better than yourself play video games so there was an aspect of that but it definitely wasn't the attraction the attraction was you getting to play and a big part of the attraction of the home games and i remember being so excited when i would play something at the arcade and then get the home version. You know, one thing I do specifically remember, there was a pinball game called Pinbot, which I believe was both a physical game and a Nintendo port that they tried to kind of accurately represent on Nintendo, which I think the idea of playing a pinball, like a, a digital pinball game is pretty funny. Um, but suddenly not having to wait in line to play pinball was like a big draw. Whereas now it's like a totally separate different in and of itself way to engage with video games just kind of as an observer as entertainment well it's funny too because so you talk about people getting together in one space a, a la the arcade to play games together against each other with each other to watch each other play and then you know the atari 2600 and the nes came out and we all got these systems in our home to play single one player or two person when snes came out we could have four people playing together mm-hmm. right that was super exciting although like who had the extra controllers only some people um and there weren't a ton of games that supported it um when i was maybe in middle school and starting to really get pc gaming i spent a lot of my time when i could me and my friends would pack up our computers drag them all over to one person yeah land party and we'd have a land party right so we had all the we had the technology to play alone in our homes, but the problem is we didn't want to play alone. And maybe because there were 12, 13, 14 year old, you know, humans, and we need that social interaction. But you know, we live for those land party moments. Um, 
And I wonder, I mean, I'm pretty sure the idea of a land party is more and more a thing of the past. We did it because, um, you know, playing multiplayer gaming over a dial-up yeah. phone connection was atrocious. Even even early non-dial-up was pretty janky. Like, the games were often... A lot of the games of that era, especially PC games specifically, had, like, a LAN mode, and then they would have matchmaking servers out yeah. on the wider internet. And oftentimes, the matchmaking servers just would not work. I remember... Uh, I played a ton of Half-Life when I was a teenager and Half-Life's various multiplayer mods like Counter-Strike and Day of Defeat, Fortress, and the matchmaking was through some third-party uh, platform that they maybe bought eventually, but it really like would didn't work super well. You would just get dropped from matchmaking. It would take a couple minutes long to take a couple minutes of sitting in line. But if you were at a LAN party, it was usually just like a LAN mode and you just hop into the server and it was no latency. You're all there together. You can yell at each other. And this was, I don't know anybody who had voice chat in that era. None of my friends did. I know that it was supported in the engine, but I don't know anybody who actually used it. So the idea of being able to talk to someone as you were playing a PC game with them was pretty novel. Well, processing power, uh, processing power and bandwidth are at a premium in a way that they're perhaps not at today, right? So I think to that point, you know, I wasn't going to compromise my 150 ping and jack it up to 200 right. if, I, if I didn't have to. Um, plus, you know, again, you know, as a kid, the, the, the cost of the hardware and decent mics and headsets and all that stuff, um, absolutely complicated all so how do your kids play multiplayer? Let's let's start there. Um, well, let's see. Um, so my oldest, my my oldest. So we're we're like like everybody else in the world. We're wrapping up like a Fortnite kick. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like that um, that trend is losing momentum, at least with my son. But maybe for the past couple of years, what basically happened is that my kids, um, that my kids will get a you know they're pre cell phone still. Um, they'll get a Facebook, or they'll not a Facebook. They'll get a um, iOS message mm-hmm. on their iPad or their uh, on their iPads of someone who like wants to play. Squads forming up. Let's like, go. Yo, yeah, like, dude, why don't you log in? And if they're there and they're free, um, you know, they'll log in and play. Um, and you know, I have a rule. We can get into rules, but we have a rule where you can't play with strangers, mm-hmm. right? Not in the same squad. Um, I really just don't want my kids in voice chat with right. anybody else that they shouldn't be in voice chat with. Um, and there's some tension around that rule, but generally speaking, it's fine. There's friends of friends and friends of friends of friends, and this guy invited that guy. But, you know, so my kids will log in, and then they'll play Fortnite with their buddies from school. Mm-hmm. Um, or they'll talk on the school bus and say, like, dude, as soon as we get home, we're all going to go play Fortnite. Um, so there's some of that happening. Um, they're playing another game now that's uh, they're playing on their iPads called Creative Destruction, which mm-hmm. is another like battle arena or uh, whatever. It's another hundred person battle arena style yeah. fog of war game, um, and it's the same thing. Like they'll they'll jump into chat on uh, FaceTime and then they'll play that together. Um, but that happens pretty often, um, and they'll do that socially. Um, and obviously, there's all the in-house dynamics of various brothers begging other brothers to play a game, you know, with, you know, a- any household of three that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. Are your kids actually good at video games? Sorry to call you out. <laughs> no, I, 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 
My oldest is not good. I mean, like, he's better at, like, Fortnite <laughs> than me, but, like, all his friends destroy him, which is, like, actually funny. It's very frustrating for him, and he gets, like, frustrated, and he'll, like, rage quit, and, uh, which, you know, I'm, like, I don't really care if he's winning or not. I just don't want him to rage, because um, that's, like, not helpful for anybody. You should definitely play this interview for, for him in oh, 10 years. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, um, you know, I, and, like, that's what, like, he'll get, like, punished. Like, I will... Um, He'll get punished for like raging for losing at Fortnite. No, for yeah, he'll get punished <laughs> for losing at Fortnite. Um, he'll get punished for like raging. Um, but you know, for the fourth grade boy set this year, being good at Fortnite is social status, right? Positive. Let me clarify: positive social status in a way that like being really good at like Street Fighter Two was not a right, positive yeah. social status at, at the grade school level. Um, anecdotally. Every fourth grade boy in my kids' elementary school played Fortnite. Right. Um, and we never saw that amount of, like, you know, penetration in pop culture. Um, as a matter of fact, my kids were also very involved in youth sports, um, which also more kids do. I feel like more kids do more things. At least, you know, I live in a, you know, middle-class neighborhood out in the suburbs. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, so there's actually fewer kids that are, like, into sports than there are that are into Fortnite. Everybody plays Fortnite. It's so interesting the comparison between youth sports and I mean, do you do you think that there's actually tension between those two things? Or do you think it's just just like interests shifting? Because I I was very into playing sports when I was a kid, certain sports because I wanted to play them. Whereas I often get the sense now, and maybe this was true at the time and my parents were just like Jedi mind tricking me, that it's often like the parents being like, Oh, you should do this. It'll it'll be good it'll be good for you, kid. Um Yeah, I don't you asked if there's tension. I mean, I think um, maybe it's easier to see this as adults. There's tension between all of these activities because you only have so much time in a day. Mm-hmm. Even a fourth grader who I all the time in the world of the day, we have structured their lives so much they 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 can feel that lack of time, mm-hmm. right? And like most things in life, the kids that play six hours of Fortnite a day are probably a lot better than the kids that play on average one. Right. Um, that being said, I'm thrilled that my kid plays on average one and not six hours of Fortnite. Um, you know, um, like a uh, funny story, when I was little and growing up, all I wanted to do was play video games. Right. Um, and my dad, you know, was like, let's go throw a ball. Why don't we do this? Why don't you go practice your foul shots? Uh, if you can't t- tell, I'm... Um, if you can't tell, you definitely can't tell. <laughs> I'm six foot seven, so there was a lot of like play basketball pressure, and then like my sons also will have a lot of play basketball pressure, which I did do. I did play sports all through high school at least. Um, so my dad was always I, I wanted to play video games, and my dad always wanted to play sports. Now that I'm a dad, the in some ways for my oldest especially, the shoes on the other foot, and I'm always like, hey dude, like let's let's start a Minecraft server and like go to the Nether together. And he's like, oh, dad, I was hoping we could go have a catch. <laughs> um, and the irony of which is like completely blows my mind, right? So I think there's something to be said for that. Um, you know, my kids find time in their universe for both of those things. As a matter of fact, like sports and academics tend to take more of a priority. Video games fill in the gaps, um, at least for the time being. I'm surprised to some extent the way that video games can coexist as being like a kind of cool thing for adults to do and still be a cool thing for kids to do because there were things that I did with my parents that that were a hobby of theirs and were a hobby of mine but they weren't cool it was like ham radio I mean ham radio is 
cool in and of itself. But that's cool for know, nobody, Kurt. Yeah, but we're like chess. Like my dad liked chess a lot, and I like playing chess. And my dad taught me to play chess, and so we play chess together. Actually, one of the few I meant to mention this earlier. There were only two video games that my dad really played, and that was Marble Madness, which I don't know if you remember that. It's yep. like yeah, that like forty-five degree marble rolling puzzle game you have to navigate through it has a great music great level design like pseudo 3d level design he loved that simultaneous multiplayer which was you know probably uh oh no no it was it was it was it was alternating multiplayer and i remember that my dad would play in the 45 degree rotated mode where um the d-pad on the nes would do like a diagonal movement and i i had to play on the 90 degree mode where like up was up and down was down his way was superior, and I have now come around to it as an adult when I went back and played played, played Marble Madness. The the other video game that he played uh, was was the Chess Master PC chess game series. Oh, and there was also Battle Chess, which was like the 3D animated chess, where like if you captured you know a pawn with your rook, the rook like turned into a big monster and like stomped on the pawn. Actually, that was a kind of um, spectator thing. I used to like watching my dad play Battle Chess because it was cool seeing the the rook giant monster like smash the uh the pawn so do your do your kids mind playing games with you is there an aspect of it where they're like uh dad dad wants to join the squad he's not gonna talk i promise like yeah yeah it's so it's interesting so um i don't play fortnite with them a ton mainly because well first off um mainly because logistically it's challenging Mm -hmm. although they have recently got their multi-platform support up to a high level. And, um, you know, I really can't, like, do FPSs on controllers. Mm-hmm. But now you can join um, multi-platforms, including PC, in one game. So we do that occasionally. Um, that doesn't well, seem fair. Uh, it's Well, it's not. And then, uh, well, like, we can get into it. <laughs> Every platform games are joined together with, like, platforms. And then play in the in the hardest platform to play so like if mobile players play fortnite they play against other mobile players okay if mobile player and xbox play together in one squad they queue up in the xbox world gotcha so the mobile players at a disadvantage if pc and mobile and xbox queue together then they all play in the pc world gotcha um which was great because i was like decent when i was on <laughs> um, and my kids were on uh on on controller but not really um so not a lot there. We did play a lot of Minecraft, a lot of Minecraft mm-hmm. together as a family. First off, it was a really good spread because it's super accessible for the whole age range that I'm working across. And also they were pretty early in like cross-platform compatibility, especially as soon as Microsoft bought Mojang. Um, but like the other thing is that like again, it's hard, even between me and my 10-year-old, it's hard to find a game that stimulates us both equally. Right? We have like um so even though we have different like preferences um we have different preferences in what we play and how we like to play and how we like to engage um and so because of that like you know uh i'll probably get in trouble for this but you know nobody knows who i am um sometimes it's boring playing with your kids yeah like yeah well that extends to video games too most of the time unless potentially you're playing a game like minecraft where you know you can pursue um, separate but parallel goals. It's pretty yeah. sandboxy. Um, the other thing that's killer is pick your game of choice. If you're playing multiplayer with your three kids, I spend just as much time like um, being the arbiter of disputes oh, yeah. as anything else. Like, 
hey, like we all jumped out of the plane and landed at Twisted Tower, got three kills together, and now literally my kids are fighting over who took whose gun. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't sound like a great time for me. He said I could have that. Dude, <laughs> you have three shotguns and you have all the shotgun shells. For the love of God, give him a shotgun and you give him some shells. Otherwise, we're all going to get killed here. <laughs> hey, let's I, just say if there was a zombie apocalypse, my family would be the first to die. I mean, maybe not with all your, your, your excessive uh, first-person shooter skills and, and your considerable height advantage, I, I think would be useful. <laughs> um, so this is going to reveal my my ignorance of Fortnite, but is there is there team killing in Fortnite? Like no. so squad damage? No, there there's there's not. Um, and thank God, not just for me and my kids, but because like the the maturity level of the average Fortnite player is low enough. Oh that, yeah, like it would just it would be, be unplayable. Just, yeah, totally unplayable. There were a couple games that I remember playing, even in like the arcade where you could if they were a two player you could kind of do stuff to screw over the other players and it was it's endlessly amusing especially if you're a kid who kind of doesn't think you're very cool and you're like here's an opportunity to mess with people this will be awesome so yeah I, I it seems like a blessing that that's not included um i wanted to circle back to the question of the kind of edutainment games because you mentioned that that actually is something that plays a big role in your kids life and school yeah 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 so um so there's this game called first in math um i don't even know if game's the right word but there's so it's it's a website that every year at the beginning of the school year they get a login from their teacher that is put at the school level and um each grade can log in and there's just a whole bunch of progressive puzzles and challenge quizzes and facts and all of this, basically, it's just all math stuff. Different ways of doing different equations, different things. Um, and uh, and my oldest, and and then my middle child, a little bit as an extension of that, is obsessed with first in math mm-hmm. um, for a couple reasons. But one of the biggest reasons is every week on the loudspeaker they announce the guy who got the most points for the week. Um, at the end of the year, they give a prize for the guy or gal, the student that um, scored the most points for the year, and um, there's like a social acknowledgement component of it. Um, my my ten year old is very very competitive, and for the past years, he has set out to win first in math um, at uh, uh, at the school year at the at the year wide level. He wants to have the most points at the end of the year, and he really likes everybody at school knowing that he's number <laughs> one in first in math. Which he's is the alpha math. He's right? the alpha. He is the alpha math. Um, Does he stream his 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 math game? No, he totally <laughs> should. But like, I, I you would like bore your eyes out. But it's interesting. So like, it it presents teaching. Well, first off, it's great because my ten year old is spending all his time doing math. Mm-hmm. So like, I think that. Um, but like, it's also interesting because it provides teaching moments for some of the intangible, right? So for me, helping my kid, um, like, um wrestle with and pursue this goal, right? Like, he's decided it's important to him to win first in math year, right? So it provides opportunities for me as a parent or a parent coach to, like, help him work through that. Okay, so, like, one of the things you're going to have to do to be the best for the year is you're going to have to play all the time. It's a sprint. It's a marathon, not a sprint, mm-hmm. right? Um, the second thing is, like, you know, we can look at all the different games that are available, available for play and, like, um, there's diminishing returns in all the different categories of play. So, like, helping him identify those, like, metagaming components of, like, you want to play this game, 
you want to play, you know, the the addition facts mm -hmm. all the way through, you know, and get the gold medal in each game until uh. you can't solve it anymore. And then you want to go to division facts and go all the way through until you can't solve it anymore. Um, and you want to stick with that pattern and go through the process. At some point, you start to see less and less points per game. So helping him identify those thresholds and work through that is one thing. Um, you know, helping him deal with the fact that because there's that diminishing um, diminishing returns curve, after the first three weeks of school, he never wins player of the week. Because it's always the kid that, like, picked it up for the first time that week. Oh, right? okay. So, like, having my 10-year-old or even my 8-year-old think, I have this goal to win the mar marathon and being okay with not winning the sprint along the way. Um, is, so, he, is he winning the marathon? Like, Yeah, I mean, my, my fifth grader has yeah. won in his age group every year for the past three years. Hell yeah. Shout um, outs to your fifth grader, as opposed to, to your bad at Fortnite child, I guess. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> it's cool. And, like, for me, like, those are the type of lessons that I think video games are really great at teaching that maybe our kids lack um, in other places. I mean, nowhere in their academic curriculum at school do they get to pursue any goals that are, like, manifest and tangible mm -hmm. over a full school year. Like, you know, I mean, the teacher maybe has some high-level goals of, like, the curriculum, but they never sit down with the kids and share those goals, mm -hmm. right? There aren't, there's not a threshold. There's a podium at the end of the year, meta metaphorical podium. There's not real podium. Um, that he will win or lose, and he has to decide if he's going to work towards that goal diligently all year long. My 10-year-old is weird, so... Like, I don't expect my other kids to manifest that. I didn't expect so many call-outs in but this it's episode. But like, it's, it's such an interesting dynamic, and I feel like these are some of the lessons gaming can teach us. Just like Island of Dr. Brain taught me and my sister, um, you know, intangible skills mm -hmm. on working together to solve puzzles. We would always, we had all this scrap paper next to the computer, and we'd take the notes on the different puzzles, how we were working on the puzzles, um, and leave those notes there for the next person. So... We're learning things by playing games that are maybe not intentionally educational games, right? Even the kids that are the best kids in Fortnite in the school, you know, they that doesn't happen by accident. You don't get the best at anything in life right. by accident, right? So I think that games provide a great opportunity for that um, and for that, like, competitive pursuit, um, especially when so many other areas of our kids' lives have been stripped of competitiveness and winners and losers. Um, we still get to play games. We still get to win and lose. And um, I think that's a lesson that I know that my kids can use because I don't want them getting to college and, like, going off the deep end the first time they ever get a C. Mm -hmm. Like, they need to know what not succeeding at something feels like and have strategies to, and like, help work through that. It's probably better to not succeed in Fortnite or in the math game than it is to not succeed in soccer where you're physically present you can't hide your face in shame <laughs> yeah it seems like a more constructive way in some in some sense to learn about losing and getting better and also you can you can practice a lot more easily with 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 video so we're almost out of time but i have two quick questions that i wanted to throw at you one what's your house's screen time policy and we're, we're going to come back and do a, a screen time episode at some point yeah um because that's way too big a topic to address in three minutes uh but just I, i'd love to hear just a little bit about that and then the other one is microtransactions oh, do you geez. permit microtransactions and if so how much and if so uh how, how much uh 
How much of a ride are your kids taking you for? <laughs> Got it. No, great questions. Um, let's start with screen time. Um, I already I already talked about as a kid. I had a very strict screen time from my mother before perhaps screen time was even a thing. Um, today my kids. First off, my kids have all this stuff. They have an mm-hmm. Xbox. They have three kids, and they've got all the systems, and they've got iPads that they have access to. Um, we have. We're not super stringent with screen time. Um, we have turned on screen time limits on iOS for iPads, um, but we almost always, and I think they're set to two hours, um, but we almost always allow overrides when they ask for it. I think that the, the primary thing that limits the time that my kids spend on screens is the amount of other things that fill up their time in their world. So I mentioned they're very involved in sports, they're very involved in school, we're very close to my in-laws, and so we do have an extended family right around the corner. Um, but when they're home, they're very often on their screen a big chunk of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't limit screen time that much, um, except when, you know, me or my wife hit a breaking point and we were like, oh, my God, get your faces out of those stinking screens and we'll, like, send them outside for the rest of the day or something. Yeah. So we don't do a lot of, like, hard screen time limiting. Um, and I have mixed feelings about that, but that's, you know, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Um, my five-year-old actually spends the most time on a screen. He's got the least other things filling up his life. I think that answers your screen time. So question. he should be really good at Fortnite by the time that he's ten. Yeah, well, hopefully we, you know, he, <laughs> he fills up his life with things that are maybe a little bit more engaging than Fortnite. Apex um, Legends. Apex Legends, <laughs> which is like a flop from what I hear. Um, so the second question is a question about microtransactions. Um, personally. I don't believe in microtransactions, um, and um, especially, you know, like Fortnite-style microtransactions that don't impact gameplay. Like, I think that they're for suckers, because, like, if you want to play the game, then play the game, and who cares how you dance? Mm-hmm. My kids are desperate for skins, desperate for things they want to play. Um, we pretty much never fund any sort of microtransactions out of pocket for my children. There are two ways that they get things paid for from a microtransaction world. The first one is that I have allowed them to to pay for out of money that they've gotten for presents or gifts or other things. I've allowed them to pay for microtransactions. Even then, I discourage it, but the most notable example is the Fortnite Season Pass, Mm -hmm. um, where I will allow them to pay me $10, and then I will buy the Season Pass for them. Um, I think I'm actually making a profit. (laughs) Profit in the metaphorical sense, in the sense that all their money isn't really mine, right? Um, The second thing is my middle and my youngest child will ask for, like, Roblox gift cards. Um, So they will ask for these things sometimes from grandparents or others as Mm. birthday gifts. And if they get them as a gift, they're welcome to use them. Um, But, yeah, I always try to talk them out of microtransactions. I feel like they're... I'm trying. I'm in, trying to encourage them to rise above. You know, do you really need this? My eight-year-old begs me for my my oldest buys the Fortnite season pass every season for the most part. Um, my eight-year-old will not play an hour of Fortnite for like a hundred days or however mm-hmm. long the season is. The day the season pass comes out, he will be like, "I need to buy the season pass." And I'm like, "You don't play this game," and he will say, "Daddy, I need the season pass." And what I've been doing lately is saying, um, hey, if you, because you can unlock the season pass ahead of buying it. Mm-hmm. I said, if you unlock the first five levels, I will buy it for you. And he never gets there. Um, 
and that's good enough for me. So we try to, you know, screen time, uh, pretty much no limits. Microtransactions, um, it's got to be quote-unquote their money. But even then, I try to help them realize that um, microtransactions will not make them happy. Oh, my God. I, I have to ask two follow-up questions. One, do you... Do their grandparents actually successfully buy the correct gift card for the correct game? Because there is no chance that uh, when I was a kid, my grandparents would have even gotten me the right game for the right system. It would have been like a, like the board game version of something. My 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 wife's parents are pretty cool, and um, you know the other thing is like um, you know you can walk into a GameStop and you can just be like they play. Roblox on the iPad. Which mm. of these cards do I need? And you can pick it up much like a... You don't even have to buy an e-gift card. Um, uh, so I think that the, the helpful folks at GameStop really do a good job of coaching them through spending their money on my children. Yeah, that wasn't really a thing. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I was going to add is my dad did something with me that was pretty similar where uh, I wanted to buy a used N64 copy of the game Blast Core. It's an awesome puzzle game where there's like a truck transporting a nuclear missile. And you have to drive these wrecking vehicles in front of it and demolish houses and buildings in its way. And if the, the truck bumps into any buildings, the, the, the bomb goes off and, like, you know, a nuke detonates. Uh, and the the copy that I used to rent from the game rental store when that was a thing that yeah. existed uh, was pretty much completely completed. Like, all the gold medals and special time limits were already completed. But they eventually put it up for sale as a used copy for like 12 bucks, And I was like, Dad, can I get this? Um, and he said, only if you demonstrate that you can clear the saved game and start fresh. Because it's going to be a waste of money if you buy a game that's already completed. And so I had to go online. And I, I think the GameFAQs existed by then. Um, and I had to go online and prove to him that, yes, I could clear the save. So teachable, teachable moments, that's even right. back then. Well, I think we're out of time. Um, thanks so much for coming on the show, James. It's been super cool uh, chatting about video games and chatting about parenting. Um, good luck to your kids and yourself in their gaming endeavors. Uh, do you have, have anything you want to shout out in terms of uh, your online presence, or do you want to stay as uh, James the Anonymous Gamer Dad? I, I, <laughs> um, I've got nothing to hide, but I don't think I've got anything to add to. Uh, I don't think my social presence adds anything to the conversation. So, uh, so I'll leave it at that. And I uh, really appreciate it being on here. Thanks, Kurt. Awesome. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Parents Just Don't Understand. Uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Bye. Hey, you